0: Hey everyone, today's episode is on mystical prayer. We're going to really dive into how the mystics prayed, how they defined prayer. In that way, we're going to have a baseline. So as we start discussing the mystics, we can see how they build upon these three themes. I also think that this, yes, is a great introductory episode before we get into the mystics, but it's also a great standalone episode as well. Often we think of prayer, we just think of petition, but as we'll look in the tradition of the mystics, prayer is something very deep. It's very unitive. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and this episode will be the final one before we finally get to our first mystic next week. Listen to the episode to find out what mystic that will be. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening, and God bless you. Peace be with you and with your spirit. Welcome to another episode of St. Anthony's Tongue. I am your host, W. Often when we think about prayer, we think about asking for something, falling to our knees and asking God for what we need. However, I then must ask you, if prayer is about asking for things, then why did Jesus pray? The most memorable instance of this even though there's a few, has Jesus going off into the mountains and instead he spent the entire night there in prayer. So why would Jesus, the Son of God, who has all of the same powers and capabilities as the Father, why would he pray? What could Jesus need? And the answer here is simple, and it's simply because the heart of prayer is not asking for things, but instead of the heart of prayer is communion with God, so Jesus went to the mountain not to ask, but to be, to commune, and to unite with the Father. And as I have already discussed in the previous episode, we are not just seeking God. God is also seeking us, and that's something we often forget. Often we think of God as being this being, this entity that is separate from us, in some regards he is. some regards he is not and he is also seeking us and actually the entire story of Christianity is about God seeking us I'm going to give you a sparks note version but the Garden of Eden God created mankind and our job being both matter and spirit was to enjoy matter And in a way, through our senses, spiritualize matter and offer it back up to God, as well as take care of God's creation. Though the fall happened in which humanity received knowledge they were not ready for yet. And in doing this, one of the biggest outcomes was we now lived with a warped perception of God. We no longer saw God as a loving father, but as something to fear. The other caveat there was death. God created the death realm, or else we would be living and existing in a broken world. We would become demonized rather than divinized. And the whole story is about God trying to counteract that misperception, that distorted view. So the Old Testament, you have stories of God getting rid of the demons, God giving us ways to worship him that flip over the pagan and demonic rituals of Baal, so on and so forth. and. When he felt the time was ready, he sent Christ to come to earth, to die for us, and that was a show of love. That wasn't so God would change his mind about us, but rather so we would change our minds about God. Christ then goes to the death realm, destroys it, so now all souls can be reunited with the Father. So it's all about union, it's all about seeking, but also as we've discussed in the previous episode. It's not just something that happens in the afterlife. God is always seeking us here on earth, and you have that throughout the Bible as well. You have in the Old Testament when God appears to Moses, Abraham, Jacob, so on and so forth. And of course, you have it in the New Testament as well with the incarnation. God is always seeking us. And through Christ's incarnation, he came to sanctify the earth and sanctify humanity so we could partake. In divine sonship, divinization, in his divinity. So, kind of gotten to that last episode as well. But my point here is that God is seeking us. So, how do we seek God in return? How do we feel God's presence? How do we feel that union? And that is through prayer. Prayer is about union, prayer is about relationship. And my favorite image is at the Last Supper when the beloved disciple lays his head on Christ's chest. That is union. That is the intimate union that God wants for us. So, prayer is more than asking for things. Now, when you are in union with God, can you ask for things? Absolutely. If you recall, there are plenty of parables in which Christ talks about always knock and ask, or the persistent woman who kept asking the judge and he finally relented. It's always about asking. Asking is fine, but asking isn't the point. The point is that union. And as we grow in virtue, as we grow in gifts of the Holy Spirit, I would even say that petitioning is almost increased to a bit, or at least the wisdom to understand why it is or is not being answered increases. And the series... We are going to look at how the great saints and mystics defined prayer and what it is. So let's begin with this episode. Let's talk about prayer and at least how the Christian tradition, I was going to say church, but this is seen pretty universally in Christianity. Let's see how the Christian world, the Christian tradition really defines prayer. So the Catechism of the Catholic Church, yes I'm going to use the Catechism as my source, though as you'll see this is fairly universal. So the Catechism of the Catholic Church defines the following as the four forms of prayer. 1. Blessing and Adoration. So this seems kind of simple, but this is actually very profound because in my kind of half-assed cosmic priest explanation in the previous episode, and I kind of mentioned it here again, A big part of our role, due to us being both spirit and matter, is to adore things, bless things, and offer things back to God. So blessing and adoration could be we bless our food, we bless one another, we bless our water, we bless our candles, and of course, the Mass as well. Adoration is similar there, in we adore something by seeing the God within it. And that also goes into worshiping the Trinity. Then we have petition. This is the prayer that most people are familiar with, and it's probably the most commonly practiced. Petition is when we ask something for ourselves. We ask God to grant us something, or we ask a saint to pray for us, a saint to also help us in petitioning God. But it is the act of asking for something. And again, part of Christianity. Not, it's not a lesser form of prayer whatsoever. It's a common one, you should always ask, ask, ask. For you people who think, and this is a tangent, but let's talk about it. For people that think, I'm not going to pray or ask for this because other people are suffering, or other people have it worse, or this would be selfish of me to ask, one, that is lovely that you have such an open compassionate heart to others. That's beautiful. You have great self-awareness. However, never forget the first miracle that Christ performed was refilling wine. There you go. So never think that what you need is too simple. But petition is a very common form of prayer. Then you also have intercession, which is a bit different. A lot of people use petition and intercession interchangeably, though intercession is when you, I'll say largely, largely when you are praying for others, you're asking God to intercede for someone or the whole world at large. You'll also see intercession with saints because you are asking the saint to intercede for you. You are asking the saint to also pray for you. So intercession is usually praying for someone else in a, to a certain extent. Then you also have thanksgiving, which is pretty self-explanatory, giving thanks. And that goes back to our adoration to an extent too. God put us here to give thanks, adore, and experience life and see it through spiritual eyes to spiritualize it. So we must give thanksgiving as well. And, of course, that could just be during prayer when we have this bubbling up of thanksgiving. And then also we have the fourth, a bubbling up just of praise. Being in awe, but thanksgiving and praise are the final two forms of prayer. Now, these forms speak about the content of prayer, what you pray. And you can offer each of these alone in liturgy or in other communal settings. Though the meat and potatoes of prayer. What we really need to know though are the three expressions of prayer. So these explain how you pray and they are vocal prayer, meditation, and contemplation. And these are broad categories rather than specific methods. They can also work together. As you'll see, vocal prayer will naturally flow into meditation And consistency can lead to the gift of contemplation. So they'll all flow together. And also, this series will be on how the saints recommend we use these three expressions. But let's break them down one by one. Vocal prayer, what is it? This one can be tricky because we hear vocal, so we think, oh, any prayer I say vocally is vocal prayer. Not necessarily. Some people might define it that way, though the catechism and many teachers and theologians and saints and mystics would say that vocal prayer is more so a pre-written prayer. The Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Glory Be, the Creed, and so on and so forth. That is a vocal prayer. And vocal prayers are usually designed to be prayed in communal settings. So that includes the rosary as well. The rosary actually can be prayed as a group. If you haven't, I recommend it. It has a nice rhythm to it. And these are considered basic prayers. And don't be fooled by the term basic. They are basic, yes, sure, but there is still a beauty and an energy and a fullness and a richness to these prayers, especially the ancient ones that have been prayed for millennia. They're beautiful. The issue, though, is many people never move past the vocal prayer. They never move past the pre-written stage of prayer. And as we get into the stages of the soul from Teresa of Avila, Catherine of Siena, John of the Cross eventually Bonaventure that might be next, next season, you'll see that vocal prayer is is kind of part of the stage and it's always in that beginner stage to an extent. Or it's the beginning of a sequence of prayers that you work through in one session. And the next one is meditation. And meditation has many meanings and this one can get tricky because some saints and mystics will use it differently and some people and priests and teachers will use it differently though by and large it involves meditating on some aspect of the divine in a catholic setting often this could be a piece of scripture it could be the life of a saint the life of christ so on and so forth but it's much more than that too and i'm kind of weary about saying it's meditating upon scripture or meditating upon an image because Often we want to go into the intellectual side. We want to start picking things forth and we want to start picking things out and we want to start analyzing it and saying, what does this say about Christology and what does it say about the nature of God? But that's not really the point. It can be if you glean something beautiful from it. But the point more so is what is this message trying to tell me about my journey or God and about God's relationship with me? So it's easy for us to go down that path of intellect with meditation, though To put it very universally, I'll reference the Catechism, which says meditation engages thought, imagination, emotion, and desire, and this is necessary in order to deepen our faith and strengthen our will. So Christian prayer above all is to meditate on the mysteries of Christ, as in Lectio Divina or the Rosary. So it's using our faculties, our imagination, and our senses, our emotion, our desire to really think about something Christian, something Christ-related. And a few things to point out here, this is a very profound aspect of Catholicism that many people don't really delve into, especially when we talk about like the mysteries of the rosary. Like I just said, it's not just about repeating the mysteries out loud, that's just vocal prayer. And it's not about just saying, oh wow, this happened to Christ, sad. That's not it either. It's deeper, it's what is this saying to me, what is this saying to others, and what can I do with it? For instance, let's take the agony in the garden. Christ went to basically freak out a little bit, be in anxiety, be in stress in the garden before the crucifixion, so much that he sweated blood, so much that an angel put their arms around him and consoled him. What can we take from that? Rather than just saying, oh, that must be awful, which by the way, that's great. You're feeling things, you're feeling compassion, and you're opening your heart, that's beautiful. But meditation would be, let's take that a step further. I look at everything and I see that. The agony in the garden is the only mystery in which the pain is mental and emotional. And to me, that is profound. So what can I take from that? I can take that Christ, God incarnate, can understand my anxieties and my emotional troubles too. What happened to Christ in that moment? Christ leaned on an angel. We are all given guardian angels. Therefore I'm going to pray to my guardian angel during times of stress and anxiety to assist me or alternatively for someone else that might be dealing with mental anguish. Alternatively though, we can do this. How often have I been someone that led another to mental anguish? How have I been that person that sent someone else to the garden to be in anguish and misery? And how can I be forgiven? That's meditation. An even more intense version of this comes from Saint Ignatius of Loyola who teaches imaginative prayer. It's about putting ourselves in a scene of the Bible to the point where you even go and ask the disciples, ask Jesus, ask Mary for things and see what advice they give you. And it's a very major part of discernment and we'll be doing an episode on that. My point here though is meditation is this wonderful mental exercise. Sometimes meditation is called mental prayer due to that. And something that I think mixes people up with vocal prayer and meditation So let's say I'm meditating about the garden and I'm meditating about the angel and Christ and how it relates to me. And all of a sudden I just want to speak to God and something bubbles up within me and I just talk to God from my heart and I talk to God about what I need. And I'm full of the emotion that I felt when meditating upon that. And I'm I'm talking to God and I'm gleaning these amazing things and I'm spilling out my heart. Or if you have a journal, you're writing it down. Is that vocal prayer? No, that is part of the meditation. That is a fruit of the meditation. One can even say that is an entry point or a smaller form of contemplation, which is the next. All right, so we have vocal meditation and last is contemplative prayer. And this is a bit of a misnomer because contemplative prayer isn't something we can do. It's a gift from God. And depending on the saint, there are many ways to reach this state or to put it better, because only God can grant this state. According to the saints and mystics, there are various ways to prepare for the possibility of receiving the grace of contemplation. So I think oftentimes when we think of meditation, we think of being still and silent. That is a part of meditation, and it can be. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila would call that the prayer of the simple gaze, and she would say that's more so falling into the realm of contemplation. It's a brief kind of subtle contemplation just sitting there and feeling god's grace pour over you but contemplation is a gift from god and is something he gives us so our meditation should lead to contemplation and a lot of saints have written on this as i said they've all written different stages and practices and john of the cross and Teresa of avila are kind of the doctors of the church in regards to contemplation and They both describe it as an experiential loving knowledge of God that cannot be produced by human action. It's infused into the soul by God. It's a conversation with God that goes beyond words, a loving gaze between God and the soul. So while no human action can give it, don't get me wrong or get the saints and the mystics and doctors of the church wrong, there are things that we do to prepare for it. And when we start getting into Teresa of Avila, we'll see that There's infused recollection, which is when we kind of meditate and it happens due to our meditation versus when it just happens on its own by grace of God, the simple gaze of God. So contemplation, though, it's also something that's often described as happening little by little, and it's subtle. It's so subtle you might not even recognize these as experiences of God, but eventually they become more intense, more powerful glimpses of the divine. In the previous episode, I mentioned the purgative, illuminative, and unitive ways. And if you recall, in the illuminative way, you start having these experiences. In the unitive way, they're much more intense. And it's the same thing here. Little by little, our contemplation gets stronger. Teresa of Avila, again, I'm mentioning her a lot in these first two episodes for a reason. She's incredible. She uses the stages of prayer with a watering your garden analogy. She says meditation is like watering a garden by drawing water up from a well. It's a lot of work. You have to go and get the water. You have to bring it to the garden. She says contemplation though is like rain on the garden. It's beyond your control. All you can do is prepare the garden and then receive the rain. So we can still dig wells and trenches that create pathways. We can still prepare for it. So the rain more easily reaches the garden through meditation, but contemplation would be the rain on the garden from God. But you might still have to, and you should still have to meditate, because when it's not raining, you still got to water your garden. But contemplation is that rain. St. Francis de Sales has another good meditation-contemplation analogy. He, He says that meditation is like a bee landing on a flower, and contemplation is enjoying the honey. He also says a lot of things about the spiritual bouquet, where prayer and meditation is about gathering flowers, and contemplation would be smelling the spiritual bouquet you have picked. So Teresa's a little more on God's grace though, a little more emphasis on God giving it. Francis de Sales also says that, all the mystics agree that contemplation is a gift, but he does mention more about the brief glimpses, the brief aromas that you get. And there are stages of prayers and there's interpretation on prayer and how to do it. Though these three usually all work together. You start with a vocal prayer, even if it's a simple Our Father or Hail Mary. Then you move on to meditation, even if it's brief. And then you sit and share that loving gaze with the Creator. Of course, part of after your meditation, if you'd like to offer up petitions or after your vocal prayer, of course that's part of it too though so those are the three stages and those are the three stages that most of the saints built upon and i wanted to lay that groundwork before we start going down the paths of the saints and there are stages to these stages but they all center on those three expressions vocal meditation and contemplation and as we'll see very soon the saints build upon it teresa of avila incorporates mansions she initially had these this four four ways to prayer which were all the water and gardening metaphors but then she built upon that with the seven mansions which is the story of the soul's journey to god who is in the center of the castle surrounded by mansions her protege john of the cross would build on that further including things like dark nights of the soul dark nights of the senses the nada doctrine non-attachment things like that of course as a sentence, Mount Carmel. But you also have some saints that don't discuss stages at all, but they're kind of implied from their experiences. Catherine of Siena, Therese of Lisieux, and we can kind of surmise teachings from their experiences. So a lot of stages from saints in their prayer that we're building on, though they all build upon those three forms, those three expressions, rather. All right, let's use an example. Let's talk about the rosary. I know I used the rosary as an example in the last episode, but it's a good one. And the rosary is a great example here because it's a unique form of prayer, and it has all of the aspects of vocal, meditative, and contemplative. So the vocal prayer for the rosary, we all know what that is, right? That is the recitation of the Hail Marys, the Our Fathers, and the Glory Bees, right? Those are the vocal prayers. Meditation, though, would be meditating upon the mysteries, and truly meditating upon the mysteries. I think sometimes we just say, you know, agony in the garden, Christ's crucifixion, birth of Christ. We just kind of announce them, which is fine. But if you're praying the mysteries alone, at least for me, I'll stop. I will stop before, and I will really put myself there, and I will really see what I can glean, and I'll talk out loud. And I know praying it as a group or around others, that's not as easy but also just meditating upon the feelings that bubble up within you when you think about these things and really go into that feeling because again, meditation is about using our emotions as well. So really just feeling those emotions and I think that's beautiful as well. So if you're not, you know, going on this big journey, imaginative journey in the mysteries, but you're just feeling happy at the birth of Christ and sad at the scourging on the pillar, good. Go into those emotions and see what why. See what you can get from those emotions when you go down that journey. See how it's speaking to you individually. And then after that, contemplation. So this would be after I'm done with the rosary, I sit. I just sit. I do not try to do anything I may. I may thank God, but then I may sit and just feel God's love wash over me. And that sounds so cliche and sweet and abstract, but that's the best way to describe it. And again, contemplation is not rare. Some people will say it's rare, but the small glimpses that we feel are not rare. Just feeling refreshed after a rosary, that is a glimpse. That is a glimpse. Or the fact that you have garnered some piece of insight is also a glimpse of contemplation. So it's the fruits, and you're gonna feel a fruit. You might not even know it though. And if you're someone who does pray the rosary but does not feel angels singing above you once you're complete, that is totally okay. Also, some people, it's just not their preferred method. Therese of Lisieux actually did not prefer the rosary to other methods. But anyway, those are the stages. Vocal, praying the prayers, meditation, meditation, actually meditating upon those mysteries. Then of course, contemplation is just The feeling we feel after sitting there and enjoying god's presence with us another example would be lexio divina now lexio divina sadly is something that many people don't do or practice though it is recommended and has been recommended by every pope from the past 200 years and it's considered one of the main ways christians and catholics should pray and it's a hallmark of catholic mysticism monks around the world do lexio divina every day so what is it I'm going to do a full episode on it, but in a very, a few sentences, a few words, Lexio Divina is mystical reading of the Word of God. I'll just sum it up there. So here you pick a Bible passage and you read it aloud. There's your vocal prayer. And you keep reading it until a line speaks to you. And then you meditate upon that line, meditation. And then you ask God what he is trying to tell you with that line and see what you can take from it. So that would also be meditation. And then you walk away with that insight, which is kind of a small form of contemplation. Though also, again, just sitting there, sitting there in silence, sitting there feeling and sitting with what you've learned and really chewing on it and letting it wash over you. And then usually you end with a prayer, something along the lines of, God, thank you for this insight. May you tie a cord to this nugget of wisdom so that it may stay with me all day. I've heard something along those lines read by others. I really like Francis de Sales. what he says, going back to his spiritual bouquet. He would recommend that we carry those insights from prayer with us as a bouquet of flowers to smell throughout the day when we need it. All right, so I'm hoping this episode really wet your appetite for more. I'm hoping you actually have more questions. Nothing too pressing, but I hope you at least are curious about prayer because in the series, we're going to get into many great mystics who discuss things like prayer of the simple gaze, which is a silent prayer that's more reminiscent of a silent meditation. We're going to get into hesychasm, which is kind of on par with a mantra type meditation, which could be a prayer in of itself. That one's interesting because it's kind of all three, vocal, meditative, and contemplative. So I'm hoping that kind of pushed you into curiosity because we are about to have a lot of fun with the saints and the next episode is going to answer a lot of your questions on prayer because the next episode is our first official episode covering a mystic And what better way to add upon prayer than by jumping into the work of the doctor of prayer, St. Teresa of Avila. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. and I hope you join us next week as we uncover St. Teresa of Avila. God bless you and thank you.